Module 5, Working with Stress and Anxiety. Confession. I used to get full-blown panic attacks when I was in residency. How do I know they were genuine panic attacks? I happened to be training as a psychiatrist at the time. I would suddenly wake up in the middle of the night with all the symptoms. Cold, clammy hands, sweating, racing heart, shallow breathing, tunnel vision, the works. With my first panic attack, I literally thought I was dying. Fortunately, that was about 10 years after I started a mindfulness practice because my mind kicked into mental survival mode. By this, I mean that my mindfulness practice kicked in on cue. Remember that naming or noting practice that I taught you as a way to work with intrusive thoughts? Well, it works. It works really well. Imagine this is an intrusive thought. I'm dying. I'm dying. Imagine your panicked brain waking you from a dead sleep, screaming at you that you're dying. It doesn't get much more intrusive than that. When my panicked brain started sounding the alarm, fortunately, my survival brain kicked in. When we are panicked, we fall back into our old habits. That's why we do all sorts of things that we later regret, because our thinking brain is shut down and run for cover. The good news is that after a bit of practice, I had developed the habit of noting my thoughts, emotions, and body sensations. So even while my prefrontal cortex was still asleep, I started noting all of my signs and symptoms. I don't know how long my first panic attack lasted, but after the dust settled, my habit brain handed my thinking brain, which was now wide awake, a list of what it had noticed. Oh wow, this looked like the diagnostic checklist for a panic attack, I thought to myself. I didn't see anything on the list that indicated that I should add myocardial infarction, pulmonary embolus, stroke, or anything else that would indicate that I should get myself to the emergency department. So, being a sleep-deprived resident, I went back to sleep. My next panic attack was shorter because my brain already knew what this was, and eventually I stopped having them all together. I bring this story up for two reasons. One, this shit works. And two, the onset of my panic attacks might teach you something important about your brain, and this might help you not burn out and even live a happier, healthier life. So let's dive in. Number one, sorry about that earlier expletive. There is plenty of neuroscience data showing that what we do with our attention matters, and I'm not quite sure how else to convey how powerful this is to learn how to work with your mind to change your brain so that you can have your brain work for you. Yes, even when that five-alarm panic fire breaks out in your head. If you're thinking that this is just some crazy psychiatrist making stuff up to justify to himself all the hours that he spent navel-gazing, hey, I get you. That's why I'm also a scientist. Science helps us cut through the crap to see what's real. So here's some science. Our brains don't like uncertainty. More accurately, uncertainty triggers a survival mechanism that signals to our brains that they have to take action. This comes in two main flavors that relate to the approach or avoid reaction, curiosity and fear. We approach when we're curious and we run when we're afraid. For example, let's say it's the middle of the day and you're in your bedroom taking a well-deserved nap. You hear a noise at your front door that wakes you up. You might be curious. Hmm, I wonder if I just got mail or a package delivered. So you go take a look. When you see the package or your mail, you're now pretty certain as to what caused the noise. Now let's say that it's the middle of the night. That exact same noise at your front door wakes you up. Because it is an unexpected event, Instead of curiosity, the noise elicits a fear response. Are you just going to turn over and go back to sleep? Nope, your brain won't let you. That uncertainty fires up the danger signals in your brain. Fear kicks in. You go on high alert, you get out of bed, and you figure out what it was that made the noise. 
Only when you're certain, or at least as certain as you can be, of what caused that noise can your brain be reassured that you can turn off the alarm in your head and go back to bed. So how does anxiety fit in here? Fear and anxiety can be distinguished based on time frame. Uncertainty in the form of a potential threat in the present moment elicits fear. Possible future threat elicits anxiety and worry. Can you see the difference? If the potential threat is happening right now, our fear response kicks in. If the potential threat was completely predictable, we might fear and or plan for it. It's that unpredictability, the uncertainty that drives anxiety and worry. In other words, when we worry about the future, we get a taste of fear in the present. We feel anxious. In fact, Anxiety is defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about something with an uncertain outcome. Research psychologists have added that this feeling is, quote, in response to uncertainty about a potential future threat. I think of the difference between fear and anxiety this way. Fear is helpful for survival right now. Planning for the future is also helpful. When you mix fear and future, and the future is always going to be uncertain to some degree, you get anxiety. In this way, we can simplify the definitions of anxiety to this. Anxiety is fear of the future. Ironically, anxiety is an anti-survival strategy. Why? Because it makes it harder to think right now, and it makes it harder to plan for the future. It's also not good for our mental or physical health. Think of it this way. Information is like food for your brain. Your stomach signals when you need calories and urges you into the kitchen. Well, your brain does the same thing. Uncertainty signals that you are now low on information and urges you into action. You could be driven to get that information by curiosity or by fear. Bringing this back to the example of severe anxiety in the form of panic, if I hadn't learned what a panic attack was or how to work with it, my danger signals may have sent me to the emergency department to get checked out. Thoughts like, I'm dying, are pretty compelling for dialing 911 when you don't know what the hell is going on. But knowing these symptoms helped reduce my uncertainty, so there wasn't a need to worry. Here's a fun fact in case you slept through your psychiatry lectures in school. Having a panic attack isn't enough to get you that panic disorder diagnosis. Having a million panic attacks doesn't do it either, especially if you know what they are and could predict when they are going to happen. Notice how the uncertainty goes to zero here, so there's nothing to be anxious about. If you knew exactly when they were coming on, you'd know that they're unpleasant but tolerable because you know they aren't dangerous and they will end relatively quickly. In order to get a diagnosis of panic disorder, you have to be worried about having future panic attacks enough that it affects how you live your day-to-day life. That's right, if your brain doesn't know what caused your panic attack, it's going to start worrying about when you'll have the next one. Uncertain of what to do, you start avoiding situations that you've associated with your last panic attack. For example, I've had a number of patients who've had their first panic attack while driving. They end up in my office, often via the bus or a saintly family member driving them in, because they avoid driving at all costs. Yes, uncertainty can suck, especially if you're driving your car and are worried about having a panic attack. So why was the onset of my panic attack so important? Well, for one thing, residency is an ocean of uncertainty. Remember your first day of internship or clinical training? As a newly minted MD or healthcare professional, you're suddenly supposed to be an authority. 
and know how to take care of your patients. If you've recently moved to a new town or started a rotation or residency at an unfamiliar hospital, think of all the uncertainties of everyday life. And those uncertainties are heaped on top of not knowing the next time you're going to get paged or what dumpster fire your team is going to get signed out at night. And that's if you're lucky enough to have a team and not be the only person on call that night. Well, you get the idea. In healthcare, uncertainty abounds. As a reminder, fear is a helpful survival mechanism. Planning for the future is a helpful survival mechanism. But you need information in order to plan. So when you stir fear plus uncertainty together, your brain gets all mixed up. Fear makes it hard for you to think. When you add planning into the mix, your brain gets even more mixed up. That's when you switch to that anti-survival mechanism called anxiety. Yes, fear of the future is gunpowder for your brain. Uncertainty lights that match in your brain. At best, you get that slow, hot burn of anxiety. At worst, your head explodes in a panic attack. Pure suckage. If you are past your clinical training and you have your license or certification, you're all set, right? No more uncertainty. No more anxiety. Right. If only life was that simple. Well, what in life can you guarantee with 100% certainty? If your answer was uncertainty, nice job. So if uncertainty is one of the few certain things in life, how can you work with it? Ready for some more science? Well, as we've been talking about, one way that uncertainty shows up in the healthcare field is anxiety. We are a very anxious profession. In 2021, one study showed that the prevalence among all healthcare providers ranged between 22 and 33%. This is certainly an increase due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but anxiety was already at high levels pre-pandemic. Now, my lab develops and studies anxiety treatments. Did you know that anxiety operates like any other habit loop? I never learned this in medical school or residency. I stumbled across this important fact when I was struggling to help my own patients with their anxiety. I was struggling because anxiety medications don't help everyone. With selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, the number needed to treat for generalized anxiety disorder is 5.2. Talk about uncertainty. That number needed to treat a 5.2 means that I don't know which one of the next five patients I prescribe an SSRI for will benefit. And what do I do with the other four? More uncertainty. So my lab developed an app called Unwinding Anxiety that focuses on anxiety as a habit. It targets the mechanism of negative reinforcement. Here's the anxiety habit loop. Anxiety triggers worry as a mental behavior. Worrying makes us feel in control, or at least like we're doing something, which is enough of a reward for our brain to learn it as a habit. For my patients with panic disorder related to driving, thoughts of having a panic attack trigger them to avoid driving. I'm guessing that you can name a number of patient or work-related worry habit loops of your own. Here are some of the loops that clinicians in this program reported. Trigger, fear of being late for my patients or not being able to get home on time to be with my family. Behavior, worry, incessant planning, bringing work home. Result, feeling tight and closed off to the world, which is exhausting. Here's another one. Trigger, abnormal lab work from a cancer survival who had an ill-defined complaint that doesn't point to a clear next step. Behavior, worry that I should have done more tests and worrying about what to do next. Result, take the worry home with me. And here's one more. Trigger, feeling overworked. 
behavior. Tell colleagues how hard this is. Wouldn't anyone feel this way? Result, get validation. Can you relate to these habit loops? The good news is, if that these can be learned, they can be unlearned. My lab did our first study with one of the most challenging populations I could think of. Yes, physicians. Let's just say there are plenty of anxious physicians in the New England area. In fact, it only took a single email from the CEO of our hospital system to recruit all of the anxious physicians that we needed for our study. In this study, at baseline, we found a very strong correlation between anxiety and burnout. Remember that self-protection habit loop from earlier? Yes, cynicism was highly correlated with anxiety. The good news is that within three months, these docs showed a 57% reduction in generalized anxiety disorder 7 scores. On top of that, they showed a 50% reduction in cynicism. That was without even mentioning the word burnout in the training. When you learn how your brain works, you can extend that learning beyond the original target. Neat brain trick, huh? Now, this was a single-arm trial without a control group. So we followed that study up with another population that really struggles, people with generalized anxiety disorder. In this randomized controlled trial, we got a 67% reduction in GAD7 scores when the Unwinding Anxiety app was added to treatment as usual. Now, treatment as usual results were parallel to the medicine numbers. Anxiety dropped 14%, which is in line with that number needed to treat of 52 As a comparison, that 67% reduction equals a number needed to treat of 1.6. Not bad for an app. So if you need evidence to show you that treating anxiety like a habit works, there you have it. Now, you probably don't need any science to convince you that stress and anxiety habit loops are real, whether they're your own, your family members, your friends, or your colleagues. As long as humans have brains and uncertainty, there will be anxiety. If you get excessively stressed or have anxiety, the good news is that you can use the same tools that you've already been learning in this course to work with your mind. Here's an example from someone using the program. Last week, I was doing a telehealth visit with a patient who had a lot of psychiatric diagnoses, and I was feeling like I am not equipped to help her as she has had these issues for much longer than she has known me. I was dreading the fact that she was on my schedule thinking, I will never get through this visit. Many of our previous visits, both virtual and on-site, have left me feeling inadequate. But last week, I sat back and really listened and felt very connected to her. She did not choose to have these issues. I used the tools of the program and was really able to support her. I just let the visit move at its own pace. I was open and without a plan, just ready to meet her where she was. It was pretty cool. So try this today. When you notice stress, worry, or another habit related to trying to control what's happening coming up, take a moment to map it out. For example, is uncertainty spinning into an anxiety habit loop? Then ask yourself, what am I getting from this? And check to see if there's actually anything rewarding about it. Is anxiety helping you think, plan, or reduce uncertainty? Feel into your body when you ask this question. Intellectual answers don't change behavior, so they don't really count. Your feeling body is much stronger than your thinking brain, so stay with the wisdom of your body. Let that wisdom help you get disenchanted with that old habit. Then get curious. Once you map it out and see how rewarding or unrewarding it is, then get curious. Tuning into your body sensations, ask yourself, what does anxiety feel like in my body right now? 
See if you can note the sensations from moment to moment using the same noting technique that you learned at work with intrusive thoughts. Yes, the same noting I used to write out my own panic attacks. Onward, we'll see you in the next module.